Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, December 26, 2023 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my, dis- my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is Doug Albrechts of the band Little Falls Trophy. Every musician winds up being the sum of their influences, but the truly great ones find distinctive ways to filter and adapt what they've absorbed from their heroes and peers alike into an original soundtrack all their own. Such is the case for Doug Albrecht's, the one-man band known as Little Falls Trophy. Like many musicians before him, Albrecht's looked to the Beatles for guidance, but he found his own path for building upon the Fab Four's impeccable songwriting template. They were a trigger point for me because I was not a seasoned songwriter at the time. Albrecht observes. I was taking notes while watching them as kids, and what struck me was their natural instincts. They took relatively simple things and were able to make them so unique, yet they also remained so complex in their own way. Those insightful observations also describe Little Falls Trophy's second album, Dutch Motel, 2AT. Dutch Motel was released on July 21, 2023 from Rock Ridge Music with a limited edition 180-gram vinyl pressing available exclusively on the Little Falls Trophy website and at upcoming shows. Produced by Albrecht's, Dutch Motel was recorded and edited at Hapgood Studios in Mountain Lakes, New Jersey. It was mixed by noted engineer Josh Terrell of Mark Ronson, The Who, Eric Clapton, Van Morrison, Christine McVie, James Morrison, Mark Knopfler at Supervox Studios in London and mastered by Joe Lambert at JLM, Joe Lambert Mastering, in Cortland Manor, New York. All guitars and lead vocals are by Albrecht's, 
while all the drumming comes courtesy of Aaron Schaefer Hayes in Nashville, with the exception being the drums on Autumn Audio, which were played and recorded by Dan Konopka of OK Go in Los Angeles. From the high anxiety of being wrapped up in an endless loop of doom-scrolling and day-drinking that is Thursday's Friday, to the modern upbeat club lilt meshed with feel-good 80s vibes in Project 6636, to the plaintive widescreen jangle of Universal, to the sneering disdain of mutual disrespect in Irreverent, to the replacements-esque lurch of an album closer Janie and Jimmy, Dutch Motel checks in as the fertile brainchild of a singer-songwriter-guitarist whose artistic maturation is coming to full fruition at the exact right time. While the band name Little Falls Trophy is a direct homage to a well-loved family-owned trophy shop located in Albrecht's home state of New Jersey, it's also meant to encompass the evocative, broad-stroke ruminations of a 21st-century American songwriter wholly in touch with the life pulse of the cultural here and now. Yeah, I'd say the name refers to Anywhere Town, USA, admits Albrecht. At first, I was only using it as a placeholder, but the more I lived with it, it just seemed to fit perfectly. Albrecht's traveled quite a, a long developmental road to get to where Little Falls Trophy is today. I didn't think I was much of a songwriter at first, to be honest. I didn't feel I had the ability to do it all by myself, but then everything came together. I started out as a bass player in my college band, and I've only been playing guitar seriously for the past 10 or 15 years. Everyone I've played with since the late 1980s into the early 2000s scene had a big influence on what I'm doing now, and that's where a lot of these songs are coming from. I always thought I had great ideas, and I finally had a songwriting breakthrough during COVID when I began writing about all the angst around us and the world we had become. Once that happened, all these new creative avenues opened up for me. Albrecht is happy to pursue the mysteries of the songwriting muse, and he's along for wherever the ride takes him. This is something I always wanted to do, but I don't know where it all comes from. I really don't, he concedes, and I'm still coming. I've already been working on at least three more songs because I can't stop doing it. As I get older and wiser and smarter and more creative, I think Little Falls Trophy has taken on a life of its own. It's my passion, and all I want to do is keep writing music. Dutch Motel is the portal pit stop that sets the course for where Doug Albrecht, the artist, will travel next. Every one of this galvanizing album's 11 songs are no mere dress rehearsals. They are all visceral chronicles of modern life being lived to the fullest. And now, the endless sonic awards of Little Falls Trophy's Dutch Motel await your ears. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Doug Albrecht's.
Hello, Doug. Hey, how's it going? You know, it's going pretty well. Beautiful day here in uh, southeastern Wisconsin and uh, still kind of on the cusp of uh, fall and winter, but uh, beautiful day out there nonetheless. We're in southeastern Wisconsin because I grew up in southeastern Wisconsin. I live in Waukesha. Waukesha, okay. Bodine. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I live. Where did you grow up? In Racine. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're prat practically neighbors then. That's right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Except in New Jersey, but we could be. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Well, Racine is uh, is a good, what, probably a good uh, 45 minutes, almost an hour. Yeah. Depending, depending on traffic. But, yep, I've been been down that way a number of times. Uh, well, anyway, uh, let's get, uh, you know, strike while the iron's hot and get right to your uh, latest album that was released in July entitled Dutch Motel. Yeah. And uh, what I'd like you to do is if you, if you would is highlight for my audience, you know, four or five or more, if you want of the 11 songs that are on the album, uh, what I'm interested in and what I think my audience would be interested in is knowing about the inspiration for the songs, uh, any of the musical architecture or the production work, uh, you know, influences on the overall sound of the song by the producer or other musicians who worked with you uh, in the studio. Uh, I am also interested in what the songs mean to you or the message that you are conveying and uh, any other kind of constituent parts uh, or things about the song that average listeners might not be aware of or pick up on right away. Yeah, they, I, that's great. I think, um, you know, in terms of the first thing you mentioned, the, I think the first four songs off the record are uh, um, each, you know, song kind of hits a, a topic or a mood for sure. And it's it's reflective in many ways. I think the first four and then maybe the last one it's um that 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 kind of encapsulate the whole thing i i i'm from uh we we talked about wisconsin i'm from i went to school in madison wisconsin and mm -hmm. in the uh late 80s early 90s so a lot of a lot of music that came out of that area is kind of um is kind of my influences and i think um you know i like that i was really looking for a warm kind of nostalgic sound with you know layered melodies and instruments and vocals and i think that's a key really with instruments and vocals mm -hmm. and um you know i had this the, the album mixed in london at supervox studios with a guy by the name of josh terrell and i think he did a digital to analog conversion and um and i think that conversion to analog with with the drumming from a guy we I had a session drummer from nashville uh play on this record um, and he, he was really able to capture that warm sound with the two of them. And I think I played everything else and sang everything else with the exception of a couple of backing vocals with mm -hmm. a few people, but, um, yeah, it was really that warm kind of nostalgic sound that I was going for. And, um, and, and, and it's a little bit of throwback, I guess, um, back to that time period. And, and, um, I was a bass player, you know, before all this for, mm -hmm. for years, I played in bass and bands in Madison, Wisconsin, and, and, um, recently with a guy out of Chicago and, um, started to write my own music during COVID. And, and I think, um, you know, it's topical about things that were happening in my life. I think in the last three or four years around relationships, job stuff, former job stuff, um, 
and um, just just topical things around all the unrest that was going on and and some of the political upheaval. I think things that are written, you know, most musicians write songs about. That's that's kind of where my my head was at. And it's kind of mm-hmm. interesting. The last one, you know, last song of the album, Janie and Jimmy. There's been some reviews of that song that's calls it kind of replacement esque and. You know, it's it's kind of a tale of two modern day kids whose stereotypical roles are being reversed. You know, the the pressure on Jimmy to live up to his own gender expectations, you know, and assume gender superiority have become overwhelming for him as as a man. And I think Janie takes it all in stride and leverages all the chances, you know, she gets. And it's kind of a happy go lucky, you know, song about, I guess, a serious topic or things that are going on. Mm-hmm. on today that kind of drives them crazy but it i guess it's you know it's stuff like that i think that warm nostalgic feeling i think people who listen to thursday's friday which has gotten it's the first track off the album mm-hmm. about kind of this doom scrolling in this world we live in and trying to everybody always thinks you know they're not in the right spot they're not present they're not being mindful in their life and there's always something better off going on somewhere else in the world and i think it kind of pokes fun at that and that that song really has gotten a ton of streams on Spotify for me and, and a lot of downloads on Apple, a lot of digital platforms. And um, we're looking at how we can, uh, how we can, you know, maybe, maybe promote or get behind that one a little bit more, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think the first four songs ha- kind of cover the whole album in a way because of the different genres that I've got going on. There's, you know, the, the second song is about, you know, autumn audio is about a, a, the kind of a tragic death in the family that actually happened in, in the state you're sitting in. And, all the things that happened as a result of that um, greedy banks and things that were coming after the person that had actually passed away and having to tell people in the family. And, and then it goes right on to a kind of a pokey little back and forth love song, my little sunshine about, you know, t- two people that, that kind of got a really good vibe going on. And then, and then right into kind of like this dance theme around project six, six, three, six, which is the fourth song, which I've got a video coming out December 4th that was filmed in New York city. And um mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, it's a, it's kind of a hard driving dance song that talks about the exploitation of, of people, but kind of women in general. And, um, and that's, that seemed to has hit with a, with a younger generation. So yeah, there's a lot going on, but I think, I mean, you asked me a lot. I hope that's not too much. No, no. I think, I think that's, you know, I, uh, that's great. I mean, that's the very kind of thing, you know, to talk about, uh, your, your creation. I, I guess I feel a certain, uh, uh, sense of self-satisfaction in that when I listened to uh, Dutch Motel, I had that that very thing that you mentioned, that it was intended to be sort of a, a throwback, uh, a nostalgic kind of sound. And, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, you know, the 1990s were 30 years ago. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I came I came to Wisconsin in 1992. And uh, to start teaching at uh, the university. And I think, you know, it's it's hard for me sometimes to wrap my head around the fact how long ago that was. You know, I mean, yeah. it's 30 years, you know, since I came here. And uh, and and, uh, you know, when you when you compare that, it's like I think, OK, if we want to talk about what 30 years before, say, when I was in high school, now we're talking about uh world war ii and big bands and swing era you know kind of nostalgia so here we are in the in the in the 2020s and and i very much thought a lot of your music reminded me of bands that i remember listening to in the 90s 
and maybe even up to the early 2000s. And so I guess I feel like, like I said, a certain self-satisfaction of, of uh, hearing that and now knowing that that was, that was your intent. So I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. And I think that, uh, of course, again, you know, it's, yeah, I, I often have told people, my students and so forth and say, you know, when you're getting old, that the music, when you're, the music you listen to in high school is now on the golden oldie station. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. I, and I, you know, and you think about it now, this, you know, students that I had back in the nineties are maybe starting to experience that, but, but uh, you know, I, uh, I think that's a, you know, kind of a wonderful approach. I mean, there's, that was not a bad time for music and i think that your the the lyrics to your songs are um you know i mean there is sort of that parody element as you talked about in the, you know thursday's friday and uh uh you, you know having a little bit of fun with uh, uh some things and some people that maybe take themselves too seriously i i have no problems with that at all and found uh found overall the recording very enjoyable so I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. yeah. So I think, uh, I think you put together uh, a nice, uh, a nice collection for the album. Well, you know, one of the things that I, uh, because, uh, you know, being a PhD, I have to ask a philosophical question <laughs> is, uh, you know, we talk about aesthetics and uh, of course, ancient, uh, the ancient Greeks believed that uh, the purpose of tragedy and drama was to serve as an emotional catharsis. You could witness the pain that was happening on stage without actually experiencing the pain yourself, but still experience uh, an emotional catharsis of as though you had experienced that that very same pain that you were witnessing on stage. So in thinking about your songs, do you feel like that the aesthetic purpose of your songs uh, is to provide an emotional cleansing for your listeners? Uh, or are you just simply uh, serving as an observer of cultural trends and making personal commentary? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, it's a connection to everyday relatable problems, whether I'm, I think I'm mm -hmm. in it or not. And I think some of these songs I'm standing on the sidelines and, you know, and some mm -hmm. of the songs I'm right in the middle of it. And I think many of the songs have a double meaning and, you know, at least what it seems like on the surface of the meaning of the song, it might have a little bit of that in it, but it's probably not really about that. A great example, that's closing time. I think, you know, Dan Wilson, I had the great opportunity to do lunch with him, but the guy, singer songwriter for Semisonic and many, many other bands and, um, or singer songwriters. And, you know, he did that about closing time, which was everybody thought it was about leaving the bar and who are you going to go home with, but it was really about his wife giving birth to, you know, to his child. And so, um, so I think it's to answer your question, I think it's a little bit of both. I think my first album was really on the outside, looking in, poking fun at a lot of topics mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of things that were going on around, you know, politics and uh, but serious about other things happening, you know, like COVID and, 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 you know, civil unrest after the George Floyd incident. And, and so they call it that, but I think, um, I think I'm more of an observer in, in some cases. And, um, and I, mm -hmm. that's what I like about it is that, you know, even my even my wife and people in my life ha have had a hard time figuring out which ones where I'm really the observer or I'm actually playing mm -hmm. and I'm the main character in, in the song. And um, I kind of like that a little bit. Um, but it's funny because a lot of people I've had interviews with have wanted me to pinpoint exactly, 
you know, what, what, what is the song specifically about? And, and there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of double meanings going on. So, um, you know, I, I think, um, it, that's, that's hard to say, but, um, mm -hmm. I, I think I'm an observer in a lot of this one and a participant in a lot of it as well. So. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. What I was thinking while you were answering was sort of like, <clears throat> Sort of like, you know, a journalist, a journalist is, uh, you know, supposed to be an impassioned reporter of what they what they observe or what data they collect. But there are times when the journalist uh, can get in the middle of it and become part of the story. And uh, in, in a sense, I think poets and singer songwriters and so on, you know, we can't, uh, you know, we might be. Uh, writing or singing about a particular situation that we observe or offering our opinion about, you know, maybe what's going on and so forth. But then we also, I think, can find that uh, our own emotional uh, strata can, can be, uh, uh, well, stimulated is not exactly the word I'm looking for, but, uh, uh, you know, we can get involved emotionally and, uh, and then, then it becomes we become kind of the center of 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 the uh, the scenario as well. So it's, yeah, I think I can see where you're coming from in terms of it being a little bit of both. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it's like I'm not a singer songwriter, I'm not a poet, but I am a people watcher. <laughs> and and you know, sometimes you know, if I'm at the mall or if I'm you know out out somewhere and. And say my wife wants, like we're at the mall and she wants to go into a particular store and I don't, you know, like if it's Victoria's Secret or something, I'll say, will you just go on? I'll find a seat out here and then you can come and come and uh, find me. I mean, you know, it's not that I have anything against Victoria's Secret. <laughs> it's just there's nothing in there yeah. for me. I mean, they don't right. carry yeah. my size. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm sitting there in, in, in uh, like in the mall and I'm watching people go by and I never, I can't help. I don't know what it is about, about my uh, psychological makeup, but I can't help but ask myself when someone walks by, what's their story? You know, yeah. what are they, what are they up, up to? What, you know, where, what's happened to them? What cross are they bearing? Yeah. You know, it's funny in my first album, I got a, I got a song called favorite song. And then one of the lines is uh, Ricky's got it right. Just accept without a fight. And I don't know if you remember when Ricky Gervais went on at the Grammys, whatever it was, Grammys, the Oscars and was ripping, you know, the people that were accepting the Oscars for coming up and giving their, their, their speech or their agenda of the day, as opposed to just accepting the award. And, uh, and I think it's funny. It's like, you, you just said it, like people cross, you know, journalists that's, it's become, you know, every journalist today, I think on whatever, wherever they write for has an agenda now. And it would never, when, when I was, you know, a kid, that wasn't the case. It was, I report the news, I keep myself out of it. And um, I think, I think part of that's what makes us great today, right? Is that now we're, we're almost forced to take a side on something. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, I think in the songwriting world, you know, I'm, I was never a songwriter. I never had the, I never had the, um, I never had the confidence to do it. I didn't believe I could do it, even though I knew I had great taste for music and I love songs. I love pieces of songs. I love structures. I love certain lyrics that you hang on, but I felt like that wasn't for me. And so I, when I gained the confidence to do it, you know, then you start telling stories and you start doing these things and you start inserting yourself into things like we're talking about. And just that whole, that whole thing of watching people go by and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on and, 
mm-hmm. in their world or how are they adapting to the, the external things of the world that are happening? What, what, what sort of take do they have on it? And do they even know, do they even, you know, do they even have an opinion or care? It's, it, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating things. And, you know, I, now when I listen to songs, I dig deeper into even songs that I liked years ago that I didn't really understand the meaning of I'll go back and you can go online and try to figure out what the song meant or what the singer songwriter, because information's available. And I do think it's more information's available, right? Um, yes. what starts to happen is um, I think songs can get craftier um, sometimes too much, but um, yeah. So it, that, it's an interesting, I, I do like this observer topic because I think it's going to help me as I write songs, mm-hmm. moving forward. Mm-hmm. you know, um, but yeah. And the, the whole lyric thing is interesting because when you start singing it and you start writing them down, everything usually becomes different. Um, because it doesn't fit it doesn't fit the chorus or it just doesn't sound right or i mean it's amazing all the maturations that you go through when you're when you're doing something like this it takes a long time but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well i think i think creative people like yourself you know i one of the things that i think we're well I, it's either a curse or a blessing i'm not sure yet but we have a way of looking at things that is sometimes uh, radically outside the box. And, and that can be a challenge in terms of how to come to some sort of resolution, whether, you know, if you're writing a song and you need to get certain words to fit into a particular rhyme scheme or, uh, you know, or fit, fit, you, you know, whatever music you're writing for it. But at the same time, that thinking outside of the box and thinking about, um, uh, maybe obscure or off the wall relationships between, you know, two or more entities is a way that may get people to really, excuse me, stop and think. Uh, I once talked to a playwright uh, at a, it was at a workshop and uh, on creativity. And, uh, and I asked, how do you come up with the plots for your plays? And, and, and he said, I have literally uh floppy dit not floppy disks that's too old uh <laughs> cds <laughs> writable cds you know yeah. that he stored data on he says of nothing but just relationships and and i'll just get some you know i'll be out and about and i'll just you know see uh a, like for example he was telling me about a dog one time he saw a dog doing what dogs do to f- fire hydrants right yeah. And, and, and it got him thinking about, uh, you know, a relationship between a dog and a fire hydrant that was extant of what's typical, you know, and he began to develop a plot over this relationship and so forth and so on. Well, it was really pretty off the wall because dogs don't talk to, to, to fire hydrants and vice versa. But, you know, the idea that as creative artists, we think about what's possible, uh, even if it's not, I mean, uh, probable and i think that's how we stimulate other people to maybe to maybe think and um you know story songs or so- songs about uh about people uh, you know there, there's two songwriters that just flashed into my head that i thought were really great uh storyteller songwriters one was gordon lightfoot yeah uh and i have to i have to confess i never fully understood the 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 Edmund Fitzgerald until I moved to Wisconsin and realized that was about a ship sinking on Lake Michigan or I mean Lake Superior yeah. when I learned more about uh, maritime history in in Wisconsin and the other one was um, 
Harry Chapin. And he had the most wonderful human description type songs, uh, in my opinion, when he would, uh, you know, W-O-L-D or, or uh, Taxi or some of those great songs where he really fills out about the person's personality and the action that, that's going on in the song. And it's the kind of thing that just really makes you think. Uh, and uh, so, you know, as a creative artist, uh, I think that sometimes, like I said, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. Uh, and I don't know what your thoughts are on the, on the matter about, about uh, unique and different kind of relationships and how you might tell a story. Yeah, I think it's a, um, I think it's, you know, it's just a form of an exp it's form of expression. Right. I think um, mm -hmm. it's really, you know, I, I, there's a lot of like Paul Westerberg is one of my favorite songwriters because he's not intricate in what he's trying to say, but, but the meaning is pretty deep. I mean, um, whether he's doing it with the replacements or whatever, there was always kind of a vigilante um, something going on in his life and he'd get right to the point. What, you know, what are, what about what it is? Like, I think the song answering machine is a great one. Like I, I spent my life talking into an answering machines. You never pick up during the days where there are answering machines and, and how that impacted a relationship, you know, that he was mm -hmm. trying to have with somebody sweetened to the point. And I think um, there's a lot of really super clever songs, like the ones you just talked about. There's some that get to the point quicker, um, you know, I think U2 is another one that's, you know, Sunday, bloody Sunday, you know, songs mm -hmm. like that, that are, that are anthems, um, about, you know, a, a very serious topic that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's not very lighthearted. Uh, um, I don't take myself that seriously. So I, mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, mine are about, you know, things that are, I, I always start by the way, I think, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is you start with, do you start with the lyrics? Do you start with, the with the melody or do you start with the music first? And I, I start with the music and I, mm -hmm. I, I was watching the, um, you know, the, the Beatles, the, the Apple, the Beatles series that was at eight hours or whatever that was. Let oh, sure. Sure. About their very and, last recording session. Yeah. And, yes. and one of the things I found really insightful was that most, almost all the music came first. I didn't, I didn't know that until I watched mm -hmm. that. And that's what happens mm -hmm. with me is like, I've, I've got to get a melody line. I got to get in music. And then usually whatever the du jour topic you know, of the day that, that ends up being what the song is about. And sometimes it comes, mm -hmm. it's amazing when I used to hear songwriters say, Hey, it comes, it comes so quickly. Um, some songs do, they come in a day or two. And then there's others that I work on the vocals or the, at least the, the lyrics and how they fit within the vocal and the melody for, for, you know, close to three to four months, because I feel like it's just missing something. I think autumn audio did that. It was, it was about a six, six, almost six months. I think it took me to get the actual, mm -hmm you know, lyrics and, um, and how that song builds from beginning to end. It, it took me a long time to get that. And the same with the back and forth on my little sunshine. Like it's a playful little song about, you know, two people that, that, that are in love in a playful way, the back and forth that goes on in that in a relationship. And, um, but that nuance had to be just right. And I, I got a backup singer who actually helped me um, get that Christy Lynn out of Asheville, North Carolina, a really soulful woman who really helped really drive that song home. And, um, but to get that right, it either, it's either going to get right, or it's going to sound pretty, pretty stupid. I think for, for mm -hmm. the most part, I think we mm -hmm. got it. I think I got it right. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something to contemplate, but, um, I like, like I said earlier, I like the double meaning too. I think I love people hanging on it. Like, what does that mean? You know, mm -hmm. and, and versus, I think there's a lot of REM songs like that early on. If you could decipher the lyrics, that was one thing. But once you were able to decipher them, what it really meant was always something of interest to me. So, 
Yeah, I always uh, have always uh, enjoyed the, that as well with lyrics because you, then you uh, you really kind of open a can of worms about you know the nuance of the meaning. You know what is it we're really talking about here? You know, yeah, exactly. and and then what's what's really intriguing is when it can take on more than one meaning. And yeah. and they can have just as much uh, much kind of credibility, but uh, yeah, that's one of the things I've I, I always I've always been a sucker for songwriters who were who were playful with words, and uh, you know might might throw some things out that might make you go, now wait a minute, what is what does this person mean here, or that are extremely descriptive, that could just draw a picture with their words yeah. in your mind. That yeah. that you can just see, uh, you know, you can just see that scene, and you can smell yeah. it, and you can taste it. You know, it's just all right there. Yeah, and, the, uh, it's it's so right. Like, <clears throat> I, think, I got a song called "Shared Melody" off the album, and the, the some of the folks at Rock Ridge that at the record company really like that song because mm -hmm. it's easy to relate to about singing a shared melody on the radio together and the bonds you create in the car by doing that. It's like it's right in your face. There's nothing. Mm -hmm. really more song other than mm -hmm. that um but the one before at universal is you know everybody thought it was about a personal relationship so people start asking me about it and it's really not about that at all it's about, mm -hmm. it's, about the, it's about the the when you meet somebody for the first time whether it's you know you and me doing this or whether it's it's me um you know starting a new job or someone that's just meeting somebody for the first time and how that evolves quickly and goes sour or how it can go sour. And um, whether it's you're hiring somebody and you think they're great and four months later you realize you made a mistake, like yeah. no one picked up on on that piece of it. And and um, so, yeah, I like it. I love the double meaning stuff and and some of the direct stuff is there too, but mm -hmm. it's for the listener to figure that out, I guess. Well, you know, I, I get accused, my wife always accuses of me. She'll tell me, you know, that's, that's real witty, but no one's going to get it. <laughs> and i said well maybe it'll maybe it'll serve the purpose of opening up for discussion you know or start a conversation you know and uh uh so i you know i i don't know sometimes like i said it's either a blessing or a curse or we're our, our own worst enemies or what when we when we do that but i think it's pretty cool that we do that and i think it's pretty cool that we we uh maybe open up a few heads and I, yeah. I, I mean, and I mean that in terms of thinking and, and what are, what are some possibilities? So we're well, sure. getting to a, maybe a more practical uh, uh, question. Uh, and, and it may be one that you really, you can't answer because there's a lot of different things that uh, different people, different, different uh, backgrounds and so forth that can go into one's musical DNA, but who were models for your vocal uh, style and quality? Yeah, it's a good question. I didn't. I never really started out with a model. I was always, you know, a bass player singing backup vocals, so I didn't okay. really. And um, when I was in a band um, way long time ago called Actual Size, I the, the lead singer was a great singer songwriter. I worked at Smart Studio in Madison. Worked for Butch Vig, a guy by the name of Doug Olson. He's a great, great guy. But he said to me, he "Goes, you know, you got to get vocal lessons. You got to learn how to sing. You know, you got to learn how to sing from your diaphragm." And, um and and so i you know i didn't realize there you know obviously there's a lot of people that are really trained singers and mm -hmm. but but when i started thinking about the music that i play and the, the genre and the time frame i think it really two have stood out for me craig finn is one from the band called the hold steady i think uh mm -hmm. he's got more of a talking type uh communicative 
singer, if, if you will, that's kind of kind of always talking and singing at the same time and mm-hmm. kind of feel like you're you're sitting there having a conversation with them when you listen to the songs. I think there's a bit of that in me. And I just mm-hmm. I mentioned Paul Westerberg earlier, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got this kind of you know, probably not the greatest of voices, but the way he infuses it, the way he, way he pairs it with his with his melodies and, and, mm-hmm. the, and the actual songwriting, I think makes it unique. And I think Dave Grohl's another one of the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I sound like any of these people, but I don't really shout like that. But um, I, I think there's, I, I, I've kind of, you listen to songs and you kind of want to convey something and how you how you sing a song. And I, I think those those three are probably the mm-hmm. you know the, the, the go to for me. Whether it's certainly I'm certainly not conventional. I'm certainly not, you know, it, t- it takes a long time. You start hearing yourself in a mic, you go, Oh man, that that's, that's not good. Cause you're yeah. super critical. Right. And, um, <laughs> and then you realize you teach yourself how to sing and you start to learn, you know, where the stuff comes from. And, 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 and now I get behind the mic and the takes are a little bit quicker. And, um, you know, it's just a confidence that, that starts to come with it. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I've heard a lot of people, it's, it's interesting when you look at reviews of your new album, um, or even on, um, when you, when you start doing spot promotions where you, you get, you know, people that represent you in those, you get real candid feedback and, you know, for the three or four that I get that says, man, you got a great vocal on this song or this vocal hits that song, or well, you got a great voice or whatever. There's always that one that comes out and says, man, this, this guy's a really good songwriter, but he doesn't, I don't like his voice. Mm-hmm. I don't like how he sings the songs and mm-hmm. kind of keel over and go, ouch. Uh, yeah. much time as it takes but that comes with it when you put yourself out there like this it just comes with it so um it, it's the way it works but I, I think for the most part i've been really happy with it and i think i can pull it off so yeah isn't that isn't that the other part of it we can get 99 compliments and one put down yeah. and yeah. it's the one put down that will keep us awake at night yeah yeah exactly. i hear you I hear you. I mean, that's just the way we work. It's like, you know, I think that, you know, all of all artists were, were, were perfectionists. And, and I think that if we don't get a hundred percent, well, we're bummed out. I know I, that happens to me, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah. And I, I also hear you. It's like, you know, the first time you hear your ear recording of your voice and you go, Oh my gosh, is that what I sound like? You know, (laughs) because we don't sound at all like, to ourselves like we think we do you know right. but right. uh but uh it's also i think too in that um when we talk about people who've influenced or been models for for vocals and or for music period i mean i don't think any of us are actually ever going to sound exactly like no. a particular person um in for a lot of reasons and that is because of all the variables involved in terms of perception and 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 what we think we hear versus what we produce and so on and so forth and i would tell you i i know this for a fact i love louis armstrong singing but i never am going to sound like louis armstrong you know <laughs> that's a great point yeah, yeah. no matter how hard you try right no matter how hard i try i'm not gonna or luciano Pavarotti. i'm never going to sound like that yeah. either but but uh you know certainly their music and their their approaches to music have, have certainly influenced what i do musically I think I like to think. And, uh, so that's, uh, yeah, I think that that's our, those are all very fair kind of statements that, uh, that we, you know, you've made and, and talked about, but there's also, you know, there's a certain, uh, style that a lot of those singers all kind of carry off. I mean, and, and I, I, I don't know if you agree or not, but I think a lot of 
times one of the things that might influence is uh, the way someone presents themselves on stage. And if we feel like in some ways that we are in any way, shape or form emulating that, and maybe we do that through vocal gestures or through even other physical gestures, I don't know. Uh, I mean, this is a thing that I think about a lot because I don't know the answer to. Um, and it's just something I'm very curious when I think about uh, uh, modeling behavior period, I mean, yeah. period, you yeah. know, whether it's singing, whether it's playing musical instrument or whether, regardless of what it is. And I, and that comes just from my, uh, my goofy uh, need to observe people and wonder what the heck they're up to. But anyway, well, yeah, I think being authentic, right. And I think that's, uh, that's the key. Well, uh, I agree. I mean, you know, there's that old adage, you know, if you're a plum, don't try and be a banana because you'll only be a second banana, you know, because a plum can't be a banana. The only thing you can be is the best you that you are. And, uh, but there's certainly things that, you know, through our own perceptions and observations and, and um, aspirations that we might try to shape ourselves to be in a particular way for, for, you know, whatever good, bad, or indifferent uh, reasons. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, so anyway, just to shift gears a little bit, talk a little bit about the music scene in your neck of the woods around where you live and, and uh, where some of the typical venues and so on that where you might perform. Yeah. So interesting, you know, I'm 25 miles West of New York city in New Jersey. And uh, that's kind of where the name came from because we, as we drive into New York city on route three, there, there was a, uh, there's a little family owned trophy company called little false trophy. So it was a placeholder for the band. And, um, and um, so, you know, we're in an area where you can get to really incredible music pretty quickly in New York city or Philadelphia, uh, where we are, there's, there's not, you know, you, you got to go into there. Um, but uh, I, I've really only played solo, um, you know, for private functions and uh, parties and, and, and just local places out here in uh, New Jersey. And that's, that's really it. At this point, I'm in the process of putting together a band. I, I haven't had a band. So, you know, everything on the album I play. So mm-hmm. everything except for drums um, is hundred percent me. And I did all the recordings in a home studio. And then we sent that out for mix and sent it out for mastering and all that. So, um, so, so that's been part of the issue. And, and like I said, I, I, I you know, I was my, my first instrument's a bass guitar, really not going to go out and play with just a bass. I play regular guitar and can sing. And, and, um, so I don't think, you know, this is my own personal opinion. Others may disagree in my circle, but I think, uh, I don't, I don't like right now how well my music translates just with acoustic guitar and me on a vocal. I think mm-hmm. some songs do really well and I've enjoyed that, but I, I think there's a lot of warmth and power in, in the, the band piece of it. So um, we're, we're trying to, we're going to put together a, uh, you know, a, a band to complement what I do and, um, and then probably from there go out and play live. But uh, I think we'll have plenty of opportunities. I, I'm getting asked um, a lot to do that based on some of the, some of the, the response we got to the album. So mm-hmm. uh, that's we're going to, we're working with, I'll work with Rockridge and doing, and we'll, we'll figure out how to do that. Okay. All right. So you're uh uh what you're what i guess i hear you telling me is you're basically a studio band or studio only yeah studio you're prince you're the prince of new jersey I, yeah there I, you go. I, I think i am you know i, I, 
I um, I've been out to where Prince's you know studio was in in Chanhassen, Minnesota, and yeah, uh, and um, my yeah, I got the same thing. A little bit lesser degree, but <laughs> well, that's okay, you know. But <laughs> yeah. but no, I mean that's quite. I mean that I have to hand it to you, Doug. I mean that's quite a talent to be able to play all the instruments and uh, and to do all of that and write all the songs and do all the you know. I mean you're a, you're a, you know a complete artist except for drums, except for drums. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah we, did, we have to put complete artist <laughs> and an asterisk yeah. and except for drums, but, but that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. Cause I, I'm not so sure even I, I, I could even begin to attempt to do that. And, and uh, so you have my uh, admiration. Um, well, let's, let's switch gears again. I want you to talk to us about uh, what have been some of your most memorable musical experiences. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, I've played in a lot of bands and I, we, we, uh, I played in a band called actual size and we got to play open up for a lot of bands like the fabulous Thunderbirds and, ah. get to play with the, you know, the Bodines and things like that have been, um, uh, pr pretty fun. And we, we got to headline the, um, a Halloween uh, party in Madison, Wisconsin, one year. That was, that was pretty fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that would be. That. Yeah, I can't remember who else we played with, but that that was fun. And um, um, recently, you know, we I played with a guy by the name of Gregory Hyde. He's a great singer songwriter out of uh, Chicago, and we went out on the road with Sister Hazel and got to meet uh, the, the guys from Sister Hazel. Just a great band, a great group of guys, and mm -hmm. played a bunch of shows with them, and ended up at the House of Blues in Chicago and. <clears throat> that that turned out to be a quite a bit of fun and then uh we with that same band we got to open up with the uh for the bare naked ladies in chicago and it was a great story about the bare naked ladies we were it was us soul asylum and the bare naked ladies and when we got there to do our sound check the guys who were organizing the the, the event it was the first time you walk out and all you could see is people as far as the eye can see and you walk mm -hmm. out and um and uh you walk out and you come back and they go we don't have any space for you guys we don't have any food for you guys so if you guys want to eat you got to go out into the festival and eat and um one of the guys from bare naked ladies the drummer i can't remember his name but he overheard it and he said that's nonsense you guys are with us the rest of the night and so we got to hang with them and, and eat, oh, eat cool. their food and hang in their trailer you know so yeah there's a lot I've, I've enjoyed being out on the road with certain bands and doing things like that and um i i got to i think one of my biggest highlights was i I, the studio smart studio which is now defunct in madison wisconsin mm -hmm. was where butch vig worked and the guy in my first band also was an engineer there and i got to uh meet um some interesting people in that i got to meet nirvana in that studio and that's a studio where we recorded and i got to know back in that day butch vig although i don't know butch any longer unfortunately but got to know him that was kind of a highlight with all the success that he's gone on to mm -hmm and garbage and and all the the bands he's produced and worked with so yeah i've had a lot of great things and then i just you know in the last four or five years said i i, I just want to write music and do this on my own and um kind of started off as a checklist thing you know people say i want to run a marathon so they run a marathon they check it off um sure. i wanted to do an album and um and it took me a long time to 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 really get to, to figure out how how i could do that and I think the first album was, you know, kind of, there's a big leap from the first one to the second one. I think that's a normal maturation, but um, in this case, I think the songwriting got a lot better and it really fueled me to say, wow, I, I really like 
um, you know, doing this. And I, I think it's made an impact on some people and based on the, you know, a lot of traction I've been able to see in the digital world. Um, it's, it's been, it's been great. It's been very therapeutic and I've loved it and I can't wait to do more of it. And, and the, and the creative ideas just keep coming and uh, I'm going to release an acoustic version, um, here shortly of, of some of the, some cherry pick songs off the first two albums and maybe with a couple of um covers mixed in and then um and i'm well underway in, on a third album at this point uh at this oh, probably wow. be a while but um because i got to do it all on my own as you can imagine it's not just hooking everything up and uh, yeah a couple of dogs. so um it'll take a little bit longer but um i'm really excited working with new sounds getting a lot of new um fun equipment like pedals and just try, trying to come up with some really unique sounds for this for this album and um so it, it should be interesting build and if, if they don't keep getting better i don't know how much longer i'll do it but if it keeps maturating then then we'll keep just plugging away so well you know i it's 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 interesting to hear you hear hear you say that say it that way uh you know i i always kind of figure you know um, i was talking to somebody the other day and they were they were you know kind of lamenting about where they were and what where they were going and whether they should hang it up <laughs> and uh which is a question of course i don't know how many times you've confronted that but i know i have and uh and i'm glad i haven't uh you know i mean i, I still keep at it but i said to them i said well i guess what it really comes down to is when you think about the situation you're in do you in your imagination in your wildest dreams still see a glimmer of hope and if you do, then you should keep at it yeah. because, because as long as that light of hope is there to keep plugging away. And if you've got the creative urge, uh, yeah. you know, it's, you, you know, I, it's sort of like what I, Doug, I guess what I, I, I hear you saying is you're maybe have just a little bit of trepidation about whether, when the faucet's going to turn off. Yeah, that's a, you know what, that's a great question. I do worry, not worry, but it's not that it ever turns off, but it's, is, is it something that is, uh, is it meaningful to you? Is it, uh, uh -huh. I think that's the thing. And, and, and is it something that you become proud of? Is it something that continues to grow on you? Um, because the ideas don't ever stop. It's funny. You know, I pick up a guitar and I usually, that's how everything starts. I just start mm -hmm. messing around, um, with chords or something. I go, Ooh, that, that, that sounds cool. And then, then I'll just get a track going, a drum beat, and then just start playing that on on the computer and or start playing it and record it on and you know mm -hmm. um uh, oss i use to record music but so that that's how it happens and um and I, and i think it evolves with what's happening in the world it evolves with what's happening you know in our lives and i think um the two kind of go together and um but it's incredibly creative and it's it keeps you, your mind going. It keeps, it, there's just so many pieces of it that I think are good for longevity. And, um, and as I try to be more present in my life, as I try to take on more Buddhist principles of, you know, doing more meditation and things like that, mm -hmm. get more reflective, I think that gives me the ability to start thinking about things in a different way, which allows, I think it feeds into that creativity. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I don't know, I, there is trepidation because, you know, I've had a lot of friends say, man, because I've had a different world of what I've done uh, for a living and other things. And they're like, you're really putting yourself out there. And and um, that's, I, I give you a lot of credit for that. And I never really looked at it that way. And then when I stopped mm -hmm. and said, yeah, it, it, and you probably know this too, being a musician, 
you know, you put yourself out there and it's, it's especially in the digital world, it's out there forever. Yeah. Like it's Spotify, you know, uh, I, you know, Pandora, iTunes, uh, Apple music, any platform, Amazon, it's there. It's not going to go away. I actually just went to Japan. I got back a couple of days ago and, um, and there's still tower records in Japan. I don't know if you know that, mm, but and there's digital and tower records has digital platforms. And I, I started searching for, for a little false trophy and it was all over these digital platforms in Japan. So it's, wow. it's amazing with today's technology and all the things that are, that are happening, how your music can get out there, but it's, it's out there. And so, yeah. 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 Well, I, it's um, yeah, the technology side of things. And of course, I think AI is also, of course, raising a lot of, a lot of uh, eyebrows about the, you know, how that's going to, or how it potentially could impinge on, on the work of creative artists. But I still, I'm still a believer. Maybe I'm an idealist. I, I don't know. I still believe everyone has a voice of some kind, has something to say. We all have, you know, good, uh, you know, I think when you're honest with yourself and, and your the statement that you're making is coming from your real, uh, well, I don't, that's so cliched, get real, uh, you know, but I, I still, I think when you're being honest and true, that there's still something worthwhile to say. And it might even, even if it's about something that's already been talked about, because again, you still have that unique uh, perspective and, and unique voice uh, to contribute. But one thing that came to my mind, Doug, and I didn't submit this as part of my, my uh, the qu questions I submitted for the interview. So if you're not comfortable answering it, don't, don't feel obligated to do so. But I was just thinking, here's a guy who's a songwriter who is really juiced up on writing songs and, and uh, you know, and really, you know, could maybe market his uh, talent. Have you ever considered writing songs for other bands? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think I've been probably doing it or out there long enough to, to, to probably, I, I, the answer is I would do it. Absolutely. Co-write. I, I got a, like I said, the guy I play with in Chicago, the, the Gregory Hyde band, his name's Gregory Hyde. He's a great songwriter. And, um, you know, he even, he even asked me the same thing. He's like, you know, we should, we should do some co-writing, but um, I've, I've never really thought about that, but I actually would love to, to, to do it. And I would love to, uh, I think there's this element of, you know, whether it's for TV shows, whether it's for um, wh whatever it may be, whether TV jingle or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, yeah, I think um, I I would love to do that to be honest. And and you, by the way, you can ask me anything you want. There's there's no questions I wouldn't answer. But I think, yeah, yeah I, I I've thought I've thought about that, and um, it'll be interesting to see what people actually think, you know, of the music and if they would want want me to be a part of it. But um, whether it's lyrics or whether it's just melodies, I think my strength probably is in the the melodic pieces of my songs, mm -hmm. um, and maybe some of the song structuring is probably where where I think I excel, but uh, yeah, I'd love to do that. All you need to do is find a, 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 a Bernie Toppin uh, clone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Somebody, you know, or a, or a Hal David clone, you know, so, or a, or yeah. a, 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 an Ira Gersh or a, yeah, an Ira Gersh one uh, clone, you know, somebody who's a great lyricist and put that together with your, your uh, melodic ideas. I mean, you talked about, you write melody, then you put words. I mean, that's exactly the way George and Ira Gershwin work. 
George yeah. Gershwin would write the music. He would put in some dummy lyrics and then he'd hand over the written music to Ira. And then he would, he would put the, you know, he would write the lyrics for the song. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. and I just think, well, here's a guy who loves doing this and gets juiced by it. And it's just a matter of, you know, uh, expanding and 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 finding uh, the right uh, key for the lock, so to speak, and really find a, an opportunity for some growth. I think that's, uh, you know, because I, I, I also I think about a guy I went to grad school with. Uh, well, he was an undergrad. I was in grad school. And I remember he was getting his bachelor's degree in music composition. And he said, and then he was going to Nashville. And I got a letter from him. This is back in the day before email. So I got an actual <laughs> typewritten letter from him one time. And he was telling me that he was in Nashville and he was during the day or at night, he worked as a waiter. And then during the day, he went around to various song uh, jobbers song pluggers no let's see i forget what the term was but but he would go into people that would buy songs and he would play a demo of a song he'd written and and uh and then he'd tell this person who he thought it would work well for and then if the person agreed he'd get in his rolodex call up that person's manager and you know so forth it was just a way to get uh more of i mean he was not a performer or a, or a uh really a singer himself he was just more of a songwriter but that sounds like uh like a curiosity that you should you should look further into. I mean, I you know, I, I know what it's like. I, I really do to when you get an idea, I mean a musical idea, and yeah. what it's like to just sit down and run with it for a while. Yeah. It's such a feeling yeah. of exhilaration. And then if it really works out, I mean it's just like it's it's this incredible feeling. So yeah. Well, you know, do you, I don't do you read music and are you are you trained musically? Oh yeah, I have I have a PhD yeah. in music. You have a PhD in music. Okay, I didn't know where your PhD no, was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I, I gotta do my yeah. research better, but I can't read a lick of music. I've never okay. been trained. Never had a okay. lesson. So everything's been done by ear, and that that's just uh -huh. like it. Just it it fascinates me because I I don't understand the world that you know. My wife can play piano really well, and and uh, and can read music and play beautifully the the piano. And I look at it, it looks just looks like a foreign language to me. <laughs> but, okay. And she sees what I do and she's like, I, I don't understand how you do that. Um, I, I don't get it. So it, it's, it's, that's why this, this music thing is so fascinating. Well, you're, you're an excellent company. Paul McCartney, <laughs> do, Paul McCartney doesn't read music either. And, how and do if you do that orchestra? It, it, uh, I'll tell you how. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, if you remember back to the uh, film, yeah, we both were talking about. I remember there was always that guy there that was writing stuff down mm -hmm. while he yeah. was like sitting in the yeah. at the piano and doing Let It Be. And, yeah. and the guy was writing down and then he'd say, no, change the lyric to and then he'd he'd do some more, you know, kind of plan. They were they, he was he was transcribing, of course, the the words. And then like when uh, when uh, McCartney did his uh, uh, Liverpool oratorio many, many years ago, he had to have someone who just listen and watch what he did and then they transcribed it into musical notation wow yeah another another and another person who doesn't read music is um oh for crying out loud uh, phil collins phil collins wow yeah I, I learned that i learned that uh from a friend of mine who was uh the backup drummer uh for phil collins when phil collins was touring with a jazz big band. This is probably about 20 years ago. And I went to see him in Milwaukee and we went down and the guy says, yeah, you want to see what, what, 
you know, Phil reads from, and he has his own kind of notation because he doesn't read know. regular notation. I didn't know that. So that's not a handicap, Doug. It's just yeah. it's just yeah. another way to 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 find uh, you know someone to to work with and and uh, and uh, you know make it happen because the creativity is what's in here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, you're right. And yeah, yeah. and here and the, and then the notational aspects and you know so so uh, I I wouldn't let that stand in your way at all. But anyway, um, we've talked about your creative process and how you start with uh, uh, you know a riff or, or or melodic ideas and those those are really your strengths. Do you um, tend to? Uh, um, well, let's see. How do I want to put this? How does the light go on? There we go. For you uh, to find a lyric that fits a particular melody. Yeah, that's a great question. I it, it's 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 funny because I always start writing the lyrics after the melody, right? So yeah. But, but like I said earlier, a lot of times it just doesn't fit within the melody or it doesn't fit within where I've got a chorus, right? Or it mm -hmm. just doesn't, it's a mouthful or it just doesn't have that, that, um, that punch. Right. Um, and, or, or a lot of times, you know, I don't know if, 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 if you hear this a lot, but you start recording some vocals and it doesn't come off. You, you go back and you, you cross stuff out. You, you're looking for a different word or you're looking for something better script or whatever it may be. Um, and then sometimes you get frustrated you just say something into the mic and all of a sudden, holy crap, that's it. You know, like that might mm -hmm. be it. Mm -hmm. The end of Thursday's Friday, I kind of was doing like, it's Thursday's Friday. It's just another weekend. I was doing that just to kind of screw around because I was frustrated with some of the stuff going on in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, that's actually, that's actually pretty cool. So I started mm -hmm. <laughs> writing that down. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's what ends up happening is, um, through happenstance, through trying things, through being frustrated, through just sometimes I, I've got a melody, I have no lyrics and I'm humming the melody and then something comes to me, I start singing it um, and I make made up the words right there. And they, those usually don't stick, but that usually then drives me to a particular direction or a point where, where I can get to the, to the, to the meat of the song mm -hmm. and a light goes off. And I think that's once the light goes off, um, it's pretty good. But, but the other thing I do is I look at the story too, that I'm trying to tell. And if it doesn't make a lot of sense, or if it doesn't kind of reiterate itself, or it doesn't get to a conclusion or, or if it's, you know, whatever the intent is, then um, I get frustrated with that because I do look at the lyrics in its entirety. And when I get to something I like, I usually will start listening to it afterwards and saying, can you pick that up? Can you follow it? Does it make sense? I, I don't know. Um, that's kind of my process. I think I'm very inefficient. I'm not Frederick Taylor scientific management at all when it comes to the, to the process piece, because I think I waste a lot of time, but, but I get to the same end game, I think most of the time. And, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of how it works for me, but it's, there's no, there's no, there's no specific step by step by step. It's different every time, which yeah. I think was your creativity, right? Well, I mean, there is, I've talked to some singer songwriters that are very methodical. Uh, for example, uh, there's a young lady down in Georgia that I interviewed. Oh, it's probably been almost two years ago. She writes every day. Wow. She, really? Yeah. Mostly. Well, she was an English lit major. So mostly it's like journaling, yeah. but a lot of what she writes in her journal eventually becomes song lyrics, but she wow. just does it as a, as a discipline. And she says that as she's writing, sometimes a musical idea will come along with that. And then she turns it into a song. Yeah. 
And then there's others like yourself. It's just all organic. It's like your muse spews. It just, you know, and you never know for sure when it's going to happen. And then people I talk to (laughs) that that work that way, I said, well, is there anything in particular you do to encourage your muse to spew? (laughs) And I've had everything from there's a there's a local songwriter here in, in the Milwaukee area. She says, yeah, I vacuum. (laughs) <laughs> she said when she gets vacuuming, then all of a sudden her musical ideas start coming. Or I don't know how many times I've had people say when they're driving in the car. Yeah. And like yeah, and, my, and myself, I usually get my ideas one of two places. Either I'm out walking my dog or I'm in the shower. Yeah. 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 Neither one's a convenient place, right? To write anything down. So <laughs> it's always that. kind of I do you that know. with melodies the same way. Like I'll I'll grab my phone and put on the yeah. voice record and, and start doing it. And sometimes later on, I go, God, that was horrible. And then yeah. there's other times I go, Oh, that's that's actually really good. And be, it might not be a lyric or a vocal, but it become a guitar part. Yeah, uh, many different songs. So yeah, it's funny yeah. how that works. Well, and then and then the, the other the other one is uh, Alan Ferber, who's a, a big band uh, leader and composer arranger in New York, and and. Uh, I know when I talk to him, he says, if I get block, if I get a block, in other words, if I'm get looking and I can't get something to happen, I'll just sit down and purposefully write the worst piece of music I can write. <laughs> and he said, just the action of doing it is what, you know, what gets the, gets the flow happening. And uh, so it's uh, yeah, well, you're not, you're not alone, Doug. Most, most singer songwriters I talk to, it's like, you know, it's happens in several different ways and it never, and it happens at several different times. And, and the, it, probably the minority of singer songwriters I've interviewed over the last two years are, are very disciplined where they sit down and for every, two and a half, three hours every day, they sit down and write something. Yeah. Uh, there's some like that, but not, uh, not, uh, not many. Right. And I and I did talk to one guy down in Nashville. He had kind of a, I thought was a real novel, a very, very kind of uh, business-like approach. He said, I just write a 15-second snippet of a song that's, you know, basically just the germ idea. And then I take that to producers. And he says, because I feel like if I can't get them interested in that particular song with 15 seconds, there's no sense in writing out the other three minutes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah. Which is which I thought was a very, you know, I mean, that's a very business kind of business like approach to it, but it makes sense. And uh, so. um, But I've always been intrigued by. Uh, the the uh, the idea of making up uh, make you talk about lyrics and making them fit and I always seem to well I don't know if it annoys her or makes her laugh my wife you know <laughs> I will, I'll say like one day I'll say you know I'm such a dork but I'm an adorable dork I'm a dorkable you know and then that gets <laughs> you know uh, you know just kind of come up with a with a with a, a goofy word for something but. But that's uh, kind of what's fun with language and music is you, you can yeah. massage it, make it fit however you want. Yeah. Well, now you did mention earlier uh, about you are working on a third album. Yeah. Uh, is this new album going to be a departure from Dutch Motel or is it going to be kind of a continuation of similar type material? What can you tell us? Yeah, I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a stark departure but i think it's you know i I, like i mentioned i've been working on some 
Um, I've been working on some, you know, trying to get some really unique sounds and I've got a lot of, you know, I'm layering a lot of things in the first two albums. And I, I think I want to make this a little bit, um, uh, more stripped down, I guess, in some ways, not, not necessarily an in instrumentation, but just maybe in a, an approach, um, I think there's there's a there can be a special aspect to simplicity sometimes, but um, but I, I don't really go into it with a with the whole set notion. I'm just playing with some sounds and I'm playing with some ideas, um, and um, and then there's you know there's always the four to five to eight songs that never see the light of day on on, on an album, and then you you resurface them and there's something that that you, you like with them or maybe repurpose it and it ends up being on the album. But um, yeah, I just started working on it and. Um, I like where it's going. I think it's going to be, I think my, I think it's going to be a, a you know, a little bit deeper in, in the songwriting in some ways, um, especially musically. I think uh, um, I keep investing in equipment in this home studio of mine. So you can't get enough guitars or amps nope. or things to play around with. That's the other problem. But um, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think um, I thought it was going to be, you know, I think it's going to be, an album a year right now at the, the, the rate I'm going, but I don't know if I'll be able to get it into the 2024 time frame. but I think maybe by this time next year, it, it could be okay. done, but, but you know, a lot of it depends on who I pick to mix it. Um, you know, master and I have been working with the same person for that, but it, it's probably who I pick to mix and it's probably who I picked to drum. Um, will have a lot of impact too, also on the sound, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know yet. I, I know I got some songs that are, I think that are heavier, a little bit, uh, more sophisticated than what I've had on the first album, but you know, it's, it'll, it'll come out. We got some, I, I got great artwork on my albums. I come out with the digital, with the, uh, uh, you know, with, with vinyl. And uh, I like doing all that stuff too, because to, I love the experience that, that maybe that's part of my age, but I think sure. opening up albums, being able to see the lyrics and putting them on vinyl is pretty cool. So we'll get, yeah. we'll keep doing that too. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That sounds just great. Well, anyway, well, Doug, we've been talking for about an hour. Really? Wow. <laughs> I try, I, well i have too i mean this has been a wonderful uh wonderful conversation but uh, i was just going to say you know and i try to be thorough i like to like to try to uh, reveal to my audience as as much of the important stuff about my guests as as possible but i know i'm not perfect so the last question i have to ask you today is doug is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that i have not asked you about I don't think so. I think um, just to um, if, if, if you dig what I'm doing, tell somebody okay. <laughs> word of mouth is the uh, uh, is really cool in this digital age. And it's if you've got a streaming platform and you like the songs, you know, down, download them, that that helps artists quite a bit or like them. And, um, you know, we're we just built out a YouTube platform and I got a video that's coming out December 4th. Um, it's going to be premiered. I don't remember where it's going to be premiered, but we can probably get that information for you. Uh, record company will not be happy with that, but yeah, we're going to have, we're going to do video and then, um, um, we're going to keep coming out with music and hopefully we'll have a band shortly where we can maybe latch onto some things and get, get this music out in front of people and, um, and, uh, just support your local artists. I think that's the, um, uh, I think that's the, uh, that's the coolest thing anybody can do. But, um, and then, you know, the website's uh, lftmusic.com. Um, uh, so yeah, that, uh, right. check it out. Yeah. Well, Doug, just so you know, I do include in my show notes, uh, your, a link to your website and your Facebook page. And so that if my listeners want to, they can access my show notes and dig deeper. 
And awesome. uh, so, Perfect. yeah, they should be able to keep up with, uh, with what, uh, what you're doing, but <clears throat> excuse me, you got me all choked up. Um, <laughs> anyway, Doug, I want to thank you for taking time to uh, talk with me today. And I want to wish you all the best with what I'm sure is, will be a continued successful musical future. You got it, man. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate your time. You bet. You take, take care, care now. You got to take care. Mm -hmm. My discovery composer of the week is Austrian composer Robert Stolz. Born in Graz in 1880, he died in Berlin in 1975. He received his initial musical training from his parents, Jacob Stolz, a conductor and music teacher, and Ida Bondi, a concert pianist. He gave his first public piano recital at the age of seven with Brahms, a family friend, in the audience. Later, he studied under Fuchs at the Vienna Conservatory and with Humperdinck in Berlin. In 1897, he was appointed repetiteur in Graz, and in 1898, second conductor at Marburg on der Drau, now Maribor, Slovenia, and in 1902, first conductor in Salzburg, and in 1903, conductor at the German Theater in Brno. In 1904, he married the soprano, Greta Holm. A meeting with Johann Strauss in 1899 had turned Stoltz's thoughts to the composition of light music, and his first operetta, Studente Nolke, uh, written in Marburg in 1901, had been followed by further efforts. In 1907, he became, became conductor at the Theater an der Wien, where he conducted Die Lustig Witwe from about the 420th performance and the initial runs of other leading Viennese operettas of the time. But his own first lasting success as a composer came with a song, Servus Du, from 1911, which was followed by several other popular Viennese songs. He first enjoyed international popularity with the song Hello, du Sus Klingelfi from 1919, sung at the Casino de Paris, and with the operetta Der Tanz ins Gluck from 1920, produced in England as World into Happiness and in the United States as Sky High. In 1924, Stoltz took a job in cabaret in Berlin, and his period of greatest success began with the scores for early German film musicals, with interpolated songs for Banatsky's Im Weissen Rossel, and with the operetta Wenn die Kleinen Wilken Blühen. In 1940, he went to the United States where he composed music for Hollywood films and conducted concerts of Viennese music. In 1946, he returned to Vienna, becoming celebrated as the last major survivor of Viennese operetta from before World War I, and from 1952 to 1971,
he wrote the music for the ICE reviews. He also continued to conduct on concert tours and for records. In the 1960s, he conducted operettas for Areola Eurodisc, which remain important documents, and was also commissioned to provide new operettas, though these often turned out to be revisions of earlier works. Besides his stage and film works, he composed several hundred individual songs and dances and received many honors, including Academy Awards, Honorary Citizenship of Vienna, 1970, and a statue in his native city, 1972. Stoltz's longevity and his extensive promotion of his own music on LPs have led him to being ranked among the leading names of classical Viennese operetta. However, his more ambitious scores are less effective than the lighter songs he wrote for films and song and dance musicals, where he was able to display his melodic touch and rhythmic invention to particular effect. The All Music Guide lists one recording of a chamber chamber composition, eight recordings of his film scores, 21 recordings of his operettas, 16 recordings of his orchestral works, 56 recordings of his compositions for solo voice, and 16 recordings of what the All Music Guide refers to as miscellaneous compositions. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of the orchestral version of Stoltz's Salome. Well, that wraps uh, episode number 169 and my last episode of 2023. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week will be my first show of 2024. So I will wish everyone a happy new year ahead of time and tell you that my guest next week will be New York City-based monster drummer Billy Kilson. Kilson has played drums with numerous high-caliber musicians and has a very impressive discography. Other upcoming interviews include poet and songwriter Julian Broloski, singer-songwriter Mikhail Laxton, singer-songwriter Caroline Cotter, and Brooklyn, New York-based drummer Ross Peterson. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day. Uh-huh.